welcome to My Two Cents with host J.R. Robinson and co-host Jessica Lonnie Rich. Are you on track for a secure retirement? If things go badly in the markets, will my nest egg still last? How do changing tax rules impact consumer savings and spending strategies? How do I know my financial advisor is competent and ethical? How do I organize my financial life? We'll answer important personal finance questions like these and so much more. And we'll do it in a way that makes a dry, arcane topic engaging and entertaining. And now, here are your hosts, JR and Jessica. Aloha, I'm Jessica Lani-Rich, and welcome to Episode 3 of My Two Cents. I'm here with my co-host for the show, J.R. Robinson. J.R. is the owner and the founder of Financial Planning Hawaii, and he's also the co-founder of software maker Nest Egg Guru. Hey, J.R., what's going on today? Well, hi, Jessica. Um, all is well. All is well. Uh now, for the benefit of our listeners, we're broadcasting from beautiful Honolulu, Hawaii, and due to COVID, we're actually, Jessica and I are actually streaming from different locations. Um, I'm at my office. We're both in, in Honolulu. We're both in Kaka'ako, but I'm in my office, which is in the Gold Bond Building on Ala Moana Boulevard, where Jessica, I think you're at your office on Ward Avenue, right? Yeah, correct. That's what I thought. Okay. So uh, for those of you who do not know Jessica, she is uh, not only co-hosting this show, uh, she also has her local TV show, Inspire You and Me, and her real job is actually serving as the CEO of the Visitor Aloha Society of Hawaii. And before we start the show today, Jessica, um, I wanted to ask you, so you and I both care deeply about the health of our beautiful Aloha state, and we're both aware of how much pain our economy has suffered from the pandemic and the loss of tourism. I think before COVID, we averaged something like 30,000 visitors a day, and we were for the past six or eight months, it's only been a few hundred a day. So the economic impact has been severe. Um, so obviously we've had some really strict quarantine rules that have they've caused that visitor drop off. Before we get started, I'm just curious, what do you think? Um, this week, I think the governor's loosened the 14 day quarantine restriction. And we now have, um, I think visitors can come in if they have a negative test within 72 hours of travel to the islands. I think that's right, right? What do you think about that? Are we, um, are things looking up? Yeah, that started. That started on October 15th, and you're right, JR, our economy really needed a boost, as with many economies uh, throughout the country. And by the way, we can talk a lot about that, but let's uh, get back to what do you have to tell our listeners about today's program? Yeah, sure. So today, um, I, I think we really have an interesting show. I think, as always, the, the, just as it was last week, the challenge is probably going to be can we fit all of this information into our allotted time slot? Um, but I'll, I'll do my best to try to stay on, on point. Uh, now, as, as you, you and I know, and we, as we tell all of our, our listeners, um, our shows are intended to have a little bit of an edge. And today's show will definitely be in keeping with that theme. The title is Who Needs a Financial Planner and How to Choose One? And I'm sure that uh, many of our listeners have read countless articles before or, or seen things in Money Magazine or Kiplinger's with titles like how to choose a financial planner or X number of factors to consider when choosing a financial advisor. So I can tell you at the outset that today's show will be very different from the guidance in those articles. Um, it'll be a much deeper view, much more circumspect. And I think for our consumer listeners, far more useful in sorting out the wheat from the chaff. And um, I also want to just make a comment to uh, those in our audience who are do-it-yourself investors. As I've said in every show, um, you're an important part of our listening audience. This show is for all consumers. And I don't want to, the show is about choosing a financial planner. Um, I don't want to slight the DIY listeners. Um, I think I'm going to share a perspective that you haven't heard about before. So uh, nothing here is intended to, I, basically I'm going to say that every, I think everyone can benefit from using a financial planner. Um, and all I ask for our DIY uh, uh, listeners is, Hear me out. My reasoning will be very different from anything you may have heard before. And I'm the first to admit that there are many, many financial planners for whom I, for whom I would not hire. So um, I'll, I'll admit that too, but um, it's, this is going to be a fun show. And I think it, there's something for everyone. And JR, you have definitely piqued my interest and I'm sure probably the interest of our listeners, but I think it would be really helpful 
for many of our listeners, if you started with the basics, can you start by helping us to understand how you define financial planning? Sure. Uh, to begin, I, I want to make an important distinction. Financial planning is, is not the same thing as investing. And it's important distinction to make because there are plenty of people who, who market themselves as financial planners, but their primary interest is investing in portfolio management. Um, when I'm talking about financial planning, it's much different than that. But it, investing is an important element of financial planning. Some might even argue the most important element, but it is not the only one. And when I'm talking about comprehensive, holistic financial planning, I'm talking about planning that includes consideration of tax planning, um, insurance risk management that might include disability, uh, long-term care, life insurance, of course, property and casualty insurance, uh, estate planning is certainly an important element. Creditor protection is another element. Uh, qualified retirement plan rules is definitely part of financial planning. How to title your assets, how to properly designate beneficiaries, uh, budgeting. These are all common elements of comprehensive financial planning that don't necessarily have anything directly to do with investing. And within that, there are even subspecialties, things like emergency planning and disaster preparedness or um, employee stock options, college financial aid planning. So there are a lot of elements to financial planning. And when I'm, so when I'm talking about it, financial planning, that's, that's holistic, comprehensive financial planning includes those, some subset of those, of those elements. And I should also say that the perspective that I'm sharing is that financial planning, when somebody develops a financial plan, when you go to financial planner to get a financial plan, I'm not talking about getting a document. In fact, when I started in financial planning years ago, I act, that's how I perceive it. Someone comes to you for, for, for a financial plan, you prepare a document and you give it to them. The problem with that is that document is obsolete in a very short period of time, not long after they leave your office. When I'm talking about comprehensive financial planning today, um, in this era. Uh, the financial plan is more than that. It's actually a platform and it's an ongoing process. And when I say it's a platform, realistically for most financial planners these days, that means it's an application. And it's an application that you give to your clients where they can store you know, literally all their important planning documents. So it's easy to update and change over time. And it's a place where they can aggregate all of their accounts, where they can see everything in one place, where it's easy to generate reports. It might keep track of their they're helping keep track of their budgets with the software and the application. All of that is the financial plan. That's it's something that's easy to, to centralize, organize, monitor, and maintain over time. That's what I mean when I'm talking about a financial plan. That sounds great. And well, that's pretty clear what you're talking about, JR. Now, the title of today's program is Who Needs a Financial Planner and How to Choose One. But I noticed when you were speaking, you did not use the term financial advisor. Can you help us to understand the difference? Yes, and it's actually, I hope I can explain it in a way that's not too complicated uh, because it is a, a little bit of a complicated industry. Um, the, when I'm using the term financial advisor as opposed to financial planner, financial advisor is a generic term. And I, I'll, I'll say this, um, when, when people in my industry, I think, know that, um, I read academic research papers all the time. And I, I'll see that you know, the professors at business schools who are writing these papers don't get the jargon right in our industry. They're not, they don't really see it at daily, on a daily basis. So I don't think that, I think most people don't understand the different terms in our industry. So I'll do my best to, to try to explain that. Um, so a financial advisor uh, is a, encompasses all types of people who give financial advice to consumers. So it includes commission-based brokerage firm representatives. Some might call them stock brokers, but just people who work for brokerage firms have a brokerage license. It includes investment advisor representatives who work for a registered investment advisory firm or RIA who are um, registered by with the SEC and brokers are registered with the uh, with FINRA the regulatory agency that governs that segment of uh, population investment advisors are regulated by the SEC um, and it also includes certain insurance agents who may also be registered as brokers or investment and or investment advisors and it's you know important to understand that that broad universe of financial advisors 
encompasses a lot of people who are mutually registered. So that you may have, it's not uncommon for an advisor to have a brokerage license and an um, investment advisory license and an insurance license at the same time. So we're talking about this broad universe of people who give financial advice, that's financial advisors. Financial planner in the way that I'm using it is a, and even the way it's legally defined is, is a much more specific term. So according to the Securities Exchange Commission, and that's the government agency that regulates the securities industry. Um, according to the SEC, anyone who holds him herself out to be a financial planner and whose services include giving advice about securities must register with, with and be regulated by the SEC as an investment advisor representative or IAR. So um, in other words, financial planners are a subset of the general investment advisor population. And the specific law that regulates them is the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. So um, all financial planners are, are held to the standards of conduct that are outlined in that law. And included in that regulation is the obligation to place the client's interests first and to disclose all material facts and all conflicts of interest. So the Advisors Act specifically requires financial planners, anyone who holds himself out as a financial planner, anyone who uses that title to act in a fiduciary uh, capacity with their clients at all times. So when I'm using the term financial planner, I'm referring to this specific subset of the total universe of financial advisors. Hopefully that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it does. And thank you so much for that really well described uh uh, you know, answer to, to my question. Now, I know you and I have talked a lot about how this show is intended to really help educate and also inform consumers that you, JR, I know you go out of your way uh, to not alienate or to sermonize to the do-it-yourselfer segment of the personal finance space. So why do you believe that most consumers, including the DIY investors, could really benefit from having a financial planner. Okay, so uh, first, just to continue that last question a little bit, um, I was very precise in stating my belief that all consumers could benefit from working with a good financial planner. So this yes. also means that I do not necessarily believe that everyone needs a financial advisor. So it's, I'm really just talking about, I think people would benefit from using a financial planner. And further, when I say a good financial planner, the implication is also that not all financial planners are necessarily either good at their craft or necessarily ethical. And um, now I'll, I'll, I'll clarify that a little bit. So, so yeah. I, I, I'll, I, in fairness to financial planning as an industry, I don't think we're necessarily all that different from any other industry. Um, I, I know lots of CPAs. I know lots of attorneys. Um, I know lots of doctors. Um, and I think it applies, I, I call it the 80-20 rule. There, I, I think about 80% of the people in any profession, you wouldn't necessarily want to work with. And I don't think our profession is any different. I think they're about, I have no idea what the statistical number is. I'm going to guess somewhere around 20% of the financial planners in this country are pretty good at their craft and are very definitely ethical. And there are lots of people who just either don't know what they're talking about or are just relatively unsophisticated, untrained, or un unexperienced, uneducated, or hopefully, but there are plenty who are also unethical. So if, if you can't find one who's actually a good financial planner, I'm not sure anybody needs one of those. So, um, so uh, with that point of clarification, let me put you on the hot seat for a minute, Jessica. Uh, okay. And thinking about it, what, what do you think um, a financial planner might add uh, to someone who is a smart, sophisticated, experienced do it yourself or what any anything that you could would come to mind that you think that might add value to that particular oh, yeah I, I would think a financial planner uh, knows what they're doing whereas and this is not to put down because I do know a lot of uh, do-it-yourselfers but a lot of do-it-yourselfers they're sort of testing out the market they're I mean not just the market but they're testing out their financial plans whereas a professional financial planner they already know and can advise the consumer what to do in certain areas and so that's what I think the big difference is the professionalism definitely that's involved with a financial planner that you don't have if you're just starting out as a, a do-it-yourselfer. Okay so what you just gave is that I think the advice the, or the answer that I think a lot of other financial advisors or financial planners both <laughs> might give and I would say actually I don't think that's it. Um, 
there, I have met a number of really sharp do-it-yourself investors. Um, and I, I, I will say, I'm not like, I've, I've had clients who are PhDs in economics um, and they, they are smart. They are both smarter than I am and they are better educated and even in my own field than I am. I, I would also say that um, there are plenty, financial planning is not rocket science. I don't think, I don't think you need to be a, a, a NASA scientist or engineer to understand what we do. I think most of the concepts in financial planning are relatively straightforward and can be acquired through self-learning. Um, so I wouldn't say that knowledge is necessarily it. Um, I wouldn't, and in terms of academic experience, so people say, well, um, obviously it's what you do for a profession, so you must be better educated. At Just to clue in all of our listeners, um, there unfortunately in our industry is not a high academic standard. In some cases, there's no academic standard for being in the profession. So um, when you're talking with investment, uh, excuse me, a, a potential financial planner, it's important to know what they actually have for academic experience. So like the certified financial planner designations, the most popular professional designation, a lot of people don't know this. There is actually, it, it itself is not an accredited degree of any kind. And you do not need any prior academic experience in finance or economics to sit for that exam. Um, and it's not any better if you're, if you're a financial planner registering with the SEC, there is no academic standing um, uh, or requirement. So I think it is important for um, if you're interviewing a financial planner to see if they actually have any academic experience in finance, econ, or accounting. I don't think that necessarily trumps a lot of our uh, DIY consumers' expertise. I think you can everyone can acquire that expertise. Um, so any other ideas? What 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 benefit might people like me provide? Well, I think there's a lot more benefits and. We are going to learn more about the benefits. Right now, we are talking about who needs a financial planner and how to choose one. And we have a lot more about that subject coming up right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nest Egg Guru makes affordable software for financial advisor websites to help advisors better educate and engage with their clients. Consumers today no longer wish to receive book-length so-called financial plans that they'll never read after leaving their advisor's office. Instead, they want to be educated and to participate in the planning process. The free Nest Egg Guru planning apps help address your greatest financial fear. If things go badly in the markets, will I still be okay? Tell your financial advisor to step up his or her game at nesteguru.com. Tune in every week for My Two Cents with host J.R. Robinson and co-host Jessica Lonnie Rich. J.R. is the founder of Financial Planning Hawaii and a co-founder of software maker Nest Egg Guru. You'll gain professional insight into some of the hottest topics in financial planning today. And along the way, you'll hear some of the great stories that make learning about personal finance entertaining. Listen for My Two Cents every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to My Two Cents. We'd love to hear from you on the program today. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is info at fphawaii.com. Now, back to my two cents. Here again are your hosts, J.R. Robinson and Jessica Lonnie Rich. We're talking about who needs a financial planner and how to choose one. And I'm speaking with J.R. Robinson. I'm Jessica Lonnie Rich, co-host of the show. Now, J.R., this may sound like an odd question, but... Are there any financial planners who cater to the do-it-yourself crowd? Um, there are, and and actually, actually, before we get to that, let me—I just actually want to finish the segment we did before the break. So, oh, I was of course. About, yeah. So, I was talking about why, um, why financial planners, or why a do-it-yourself investor, a sophisticated, smart do-it investor, do-it-yourself um, investor, might benefit from hiring a financial planner. And I'll, yes. I'll tell you, it's not the things that most people 
think it's not the reasons that most financial advisors give for why you should work with somebody like me. The, I'm all ears. Okay, so it's, it's not <laughs> it's not that it's not that we're necessarily more knowledgeable uh, or more academically experienced or more professional. Um, I would even say it's not even we have really good software, better than most consumers have. But there are so many assumptions built into the software that most I think most financial planners don't understand those assumptions. So I'm not even sure that that's a big advantage. It can be helpful. I'm not sure that's enough to to really tip one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. Some people also say it's it's you know it's helpful to have a financial planner because we provide rational, cold-hearted, unemotional guidance during th- times when things are volatile. And yes, that can be helpful. I I, I have really sophisticated clients who who do when like back in March when everything was falling apart, definitely valued that perspective because that is my job um, is to keep calm and understand keep things in perspective. But I think I'll tell you the, the biggest reason, and I think everyone can relate to this, but nobody really talks about it. Nobody thinks about it. The biggest reason to hire a financial planner, either to do a second opinion or just to provide this comprehensive ongoing guidance is that the consumer, no matter how smart you are, you don't necessarily know what you don't know. And the only experience that you have to go on is your own. And so the part that gives people like me an advantage, who have been doing this for 20 or 30 years, is that we've seen lots of client experiences, hundreds, been exposed to hundreds. And that's how I learn things. You'll pick, you'll pick up, oh, mm-hmm. this is this client situation and this rule applies to that client. And then you, that's sort of how you remember it. So I've had people say, well, I can read up on the rules and things too. And just like, it is true. Yeah, anyone can read the same IRS rules or every time a tax law changes, they can read it. But in terms of understanding it and mem- remembering it, you won't necessarily remember it because you don't have a context to. We Right. remember it because we we know we'll, it'll come up and say, oh, that reminds me of this client. This has happened here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's that context. It's, it's really basically, you don't know what you don't know because you don't have any reason to ask the question if you don't know it, right? right. That's I think that's the, actually the value of a financial plan. I've had lots of do-it-yourself people come to me to give it a second opinion because they, they're just things that they wouldn't know to ask. So I think that's the benefit. And uh, I don't mean to be long-winded, which I always am, but that's, that's where I was going with that. So- um, and- and JR, I think there's another benefit, and you actually don't realize this, but you brought this subject up to me in the, our last show, and where you told me, and I'm going to have you put it in your own words, that one of the things I asked you, what what inspires you about the job that you're doing, <laughs> yes. and you told me, <laughs> and I think I can't, I can't put it into your words, so I'm going to let you do it, that w- what you find for clients, for consumers, that they would never find on their own. No, that's fine. I, 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 yeah, we, and that was um, a funny conversation. But yeah, there's actually a little video segment on my website where to help people get to know me. And uh, I, I explained that I am passionate about financial planning because I approach it as if it's a treasure hunt. And the personal gratification that you get from finding mistakes that people made that they didn't know they were making um, in when you're doing a complete comprehensive financial plan, you gather up all of their documents, all of their information, and yeah. you find these little mistakes and errors that you're, oh my God, I didn't know that. You know, if you, if you can save somebody, and I'm just making this up, obviously, but if you can save somebody twenty or thirty thousand dollars from introducing them to a rule or keeping them from making a mistake, it's just as it's just as beneficial that as invest in making investment returns. In fact, investment returns can be ephemeral. When you find something like that, it's a guaranteed return, right? So that finding those mistakes, I mean, that's, that's just, that is what fuels me. That's what gets me juiced to go to work every day is you view it like a treasure hunt. And if the more things you can find when you're, you know, you're telling the clients about it, that's exciting. But I think, and I think that that is general, if you've got a good financial planner, they're passionate about it too. Yeah, I'm not the only, certainly not the only one, but the, um, but that is the advantage that you bring is just that you know, I, the experience for working with so many different people that you can spot something that you use for someone else and apply it to the next consumer who comes in. That's that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to bring up that benefit as well, because I'm sure consumers, when you tell them, oh, by the way, I found you an extra $20,000 that you didn't know existed. It's like giving somebody a birthday present, a big <laughs> birthday present. Yeah. I remember on show one, I talked about that, the, just a simple, just a tiny simple rule change that a, or rule that a client didn't know about saved them $40,000 in tax. Just it's simple. Anybody could have done it. They just didn't know the rule, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's, that, that's, that's <laughs> when you do that, that's, it's, that is really fun. I mean, that's, that's what the challenge is at our business. Keep finding things like that. Keep kept catching mistakes and finding opportunities. So I, what we were talking about the do it yourselfers yeah. or 
the DIYs. And uh, you were starting to share with me a little bit more about financial planners who might or who do cater to them. Yeah. So just um, you asked, are there, are, you know, are there planners who, who serve the DIY crowd? I honestly don't know too many. I've, I, I've, one that comes sure. to mind would be um, there's a blogger who I don't even know his name, but he, he goes under the um, the title, the white coat investor. And he originally started catering to doctors. I think he was a doctor who became so in, uh, a physician who became so interested in it that he educated himself and, I, and he's been doing it for a long time. And as I read his blog, I, I said, this, this person is every bit as qualified and every bit as knowledgeable as any financial planner I've ever met. I don't necessarily agree with everything, uh, but on certain concepts, on certain concepts, he's, I, he's definitely more knowledgeable than I am on things. I, I actually, I read his stuff on, um, um, a lot of um, insurance, life insurance policies that are, it's a complex product that's often more sold by insurance agents than bought by consumers. And he elucidates how those policies work. Now, like I said, that, there's a person who I, I, I think is um, every, good as, every bit as good as anyone like me. Um, there are, I think there are some bloggers who give advice in the financial independence retire early movement, uh, the FIRE movement, which we'll be delving into in, in great detail next week, who are pretty good. Um, there are certainly a number of experienced journalists. I, I would say Ron Lieber, who writes the Your Money column in the New York Times, is one. Jeff Summers, who writes for uh, st- the Strategies column for the New York Times, is another. Uh, Jason uh, Zweig from the Wall Street Journal. And um, he writes an awful lot about ethics in the financial advice business. He's very good. And I don't, I don't always agree with the concepts that these people share in their columns, but in terms of putting into perspective, in my opinion, their knowledge bases are better and their advice is less conflicted than your average financial planner. I think their people are very good. And so I, you know, I, I respect all of those people. I don't know beyond that. I'm sure there are lots of others too. I just, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of them. Well, that's a great answer anyway. And, and JR, we've covered a lot of ground already, but let's dive into more of the details. Now I'm a consumer and I realize that I'm definitely not as knowledgeable about investing or other aspects of my financial life, how does a person find the right financial planner? Um, yeah, so I, a financial planner. Yeah. To, so, to get started, I think the very first thing you should do before you actually embark on your planner search is, is to sit down and figure out a general idea of what you want to get from the financial planning relationships. You need to know yourself first. Uh, are you looking for budgeting help? Are you looking for college funding help? Uh, are you in need of, of debt management advice? Or are you a small business owner looking to set up a small business retirement plan? Are you just are you looking generally for holistic financial planning advice? And that's, that's the number one place to start because it'll help you quickly identify whether a particular planner you're looking at is a good match for you or not. And that's, that's number one. Start with that. Okay. Well, what if I don't know any financial planners in my area? How do, how do I find one? Okay. So the answer I give might surprise you a little bit. The most common way in which people find a financial planner is usually from referrals from friends or coworkers who are already working with someone. And uh, this can be a great way to get a name. Don't get me wrong. But I always caution people about trusting that too much as an endorsement. And I just, there's a simple, simple illustration that everyone will understand about why I say that. Most of Bernie Madoff's clients came from mm-hmm. referrals. So. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so wow. uh, say no more. Um, but uh, I also, I also do not recommend using um, online financial planner referral search tools, such as um, using the certified financial planner board of standards network or the Financial Planning Associations Network. Uh, there's another one called Smart Assets. That's a search tool that's out there now. Uh, mm-hmm. All of those organizations have very much have an internal agenda and a profit motive. And I don't think that any of them are useful. I would not use them. Uh, in my opinion, the, the best way to start, it's pretty simple. Just do a simple Google search of financial planners in your area. Okay. And thank you for that. That's an easy one. I like that one. That's, that makes sense. So once I've established a clear idea, let's say of the type of guidance that I'm seeking, and I set out to interview a few financial planners, uh, what do I do next? Okay. This is probably the most important part, actually. Uh, 
before you set an appointment, do your due diligence. So in my experience, most consumers do almost no homework before they meet the planner. So your financial well-being is almost important as your physical health. And so yes. if you're lazy and you go into that meeting cold, you will most likely just pick the financial planner who is the best salesperson or who has the most charisma. And I'm not sure those are necessarily the criteria you should be used for choosing somebody like me. Um, I think you, sh you, you really should know all about the planner before the meeting. And there are two simple objective ways to do that. First is easy. Go, you, once you have a name, go to the financial planner's website. You get a pretty clear idea of what their uh, business philosophy is, how they approach it, what services they offer, sometimes even their pricing. And you, get, you get a good sense from that. Um, some advisors' websites are more sophisticated than others. And I, I'll tell you about one in a minute. I saw a really sophisticated, really crisp site. I was totally impressed by the advisor until I went and looked at his record. Not so much. So don't be fooled too much by a nice looking website either. Um, but the next part, and this is really the, the most important due diligence part, and that is to look up the financial planner on FINRA Broker Check. Um, and FINRA Broker, there's two tools for that the regulatory agencies provide for looking at the background on a financial planner. Uh, one yeah. is FINRA Broker Check. The other is this SEC, uh, Securities Exchange Commission's um, Investment Advisor Public Disclosure Site, or IAPD. Either one of those will do it, but Broker Check is the most common one. So um, when you put a... When you put a person's first name or last name into broker, first name and last name, and maybe even company into broker check, you'll get the list mm -hmm. of, um, of planner of, of people with that name that you put in. And when you're looking at a planner, the, the planner that you looked for or you were, you were searching for, you'll see the years of experience they have, the firms that they work with. Um, and you'll also see, most importantly, their disclosure history. So if they've had a problem with consumer complaints in the past, if they've been convicted of a felony, for example, it'll show up on there. And that's really, really relevant information when you're going in um, into that. So um, I know to preface the importance of that, I'll, um, there's I, I read a lot about um, financial advisor misconduct, and I'm in, immersed in that research right now. I was just reading a research paper uh, that in which written by two economists, and they were trying to figure out why consumers use financial advisors who have serious misconduct violations. They have a long history of disclosure events in their in their records, and this is how it's very different from an economist sees the world from the way a grassroots financial planner does. And they, what they hypothesized was that consumers must be expecting higher returns by, because they're using those people. They must expect that somehow that those people with all those misconduct things um, are, are able to generate higher returns. The only reason they, they could figure out. And financial planners like I like me read that and we're like, duh, no. <laughs> what it is, yeah. is the consumer was too lazy to look them up on broker check and has no idea that their financial planner has all these disclosure events in their history. So, um, wow. Yeah. So. Uh, that's, um, yeah, that's an extremely valuable tool. Um, maybe um, when we come back from the break, I'll offer uh, a couple of examples of that, just from my real world experience, things that have happened to me in even the last, but one of them was a couple of weeks ago, and it's just an interesting story. And the other is um, uh, from about a year or so ago that inspired a Wall Street Journal article on this topic. So, um, but You have such good stories, and I could hardly wait. And we're going to hear about your story. We're talking about who needs a financial planner and how to choose one. And J.R. Robinson has a story coming up right after the break. We'll be back right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nest Egg Guru makes affordable software for financial advisor websites to help advisors better educate and engage with their clients. Consumers today no longer wish to receive book-length so-called financial plans that they'll never read after leaving their advisor's office. Instead, they want to be educated and to participate in the planning process. The three Nest Egg Guru planning apps help address your greatest financial fear. If things go badly in the markets, will I still be okay? Tell your financial advisor to step up his or her game at nesteggguru.com. Tune in every week for My Two Cents with host J.R. Robinson and co-host Jessica Lonnie Rich. J.R. is the founder of Financial Planning Hawaii and a co-founder of software maker Nest Egg Guru. 
You'll gain professional insight into some of the hottest topics in financial planning today. And along the way, you'll hear some of the great stories that make learning about personal finance entertaining. Listen for My Two Cents every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. listening to my two cents we'd love to hear from you on the program today call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 if you'd rather send an email the email address is info at fphawaii.com now back to my two cents here again are your hosts jr robinson and jessica lani rich JR, before we went to break, you said that you had a story to tell us, and I'm all ears, and I'm sure our listeners are too. We're talking today about who needs a financial planner and how to choose one with JR Robinson, and I'm Jessica Lonnie Rich. JR? Yeah, so uh, before the break, I was going to share two interesting stories of why it's so important to do due diligence and why it's so important to use FINRA broker check before you meet with a financial planner. And two examples. So this is just, just happened a couple of months ago. I'm referred um, to an, from an existing client to, to friends of theirs in New York City um, who were looking for a second opinion on what they had. And they told me they were working with a financial planner with a firm in New York. They gave me the planner's name and the company. And I looked at his website and I was like, oh, this guy seems pretty legit. I mean, it's a really well-designed website. There's a team of people. The person who's working with him is a CFP. He's the head of the firm. And, you know, multiple CFPs, multiple what looks like extremely experienced people there. And um, and I didn't get too far into the um, they were looking for a very specific uh, topic. I gave them my advice on that. And and that was it. After the call, I went, I said, this guy looks pretty impressive. I'm going to look him up. So I went on to FINRA broker check. I'm like, oh, my word. I I, this guy's a very good salesman. I'm not sure I would work with this dude. Um, what I found was that two years ago, he was an insurance agent and he had a number of client complaints against him. And um, he had ended up being terminated for cause for um, basically not following compliance policies very well. These are not good signs. Oh, no. Big red flag. Yeah. And you wouldn't know it. And I I started looking at some of the other people in his firm. Some of them weren't even registered. They were claiming to be and they weren't. And it's just, yeah. So exhibit a and why you do your due diligence and another one this is this is the the, the biggest one i have a good friend of mine he um he has a, a, a company he's been a client for a long time and a good friend for a long time and he said he was approached by um uh, a man about taking over his 401k plan and i didn't manage the plan anyway it was handled by somebody else. I'm, I'm, so I, he just he says this guy came up and he said you know he said he flew up there in his private jet and um he wanted to take me to lunch take me to golf um told me how successful he was and how he'd be you know happy to work for me and and um, thought he could do all these great things for me. But he said, something about the guy just didn't seem quite right. I was wondering if you could check him out for me. Hmm. It's not a hard thing to do. So I went into FINRA broker check. I found out that this guy had five disclosure events in his history, the four of which were um, com- client complaints that were settled for more than $100,000 each. Oh, my and, goodness. And he was also wow. terminated from cause for something entirely separate. Not good things. Mm-hmm. He had also filed for bankruptcy 12 months ago. So- um, and actually his story led to a, there was a wall street journal expose a year ago that I helped develop. And this guy was the, the sort of the impetus for that story. Mm-hmm. So, um, it doesn't matter how professional somebody looks, how slick they are, how, how many yeah. titles they have do the FINRA broker check. It's the step number one. So, um, that's Can you that. spell that JR FINRA the, is the financial industry regulatory association. So F I N R a. Perfect. Okay, that's a great story. And I think maybe the reason that his client was impressed, I mean, if you, when somebody tells me they own a private jet, I'm thinking, oh, this guy must be very successful. And in reality, he was not. I'm uh, pretty sure he's flying coach. Wow. Okay, yeah, I guess so. Well, the stories you're telling us are really making a lot of sense. But JR, to prep for today's show, I've read a few articles about how to choose a financial advisor, and everyone has suggested that consumers should only trust an advisor who is a fiduciary or certified financial planner. And you gave us some really good tips about, you know, checking into their background. Is that good advice? 
So um, I think we've just gone through a couple of examples of, of yeah. First of all, every financial planner is required to act as a fiduciary, and they're supposed to be registered with the SEC and regulated by the SEC. Enforcement is an entirely different issue. There are lots of people yeah. who can get away with things and never have enforcement issues. So um, it is important to work with someone who acts as a fiduciary. Unfortunately, the trend in our industry has been that those terms, the fiduciary moniker and the CFP designation, have become valuable to financial ad advisors, va valuable to financial planners as a marketing tool, they don't necessarily send an honest signal to consumers. And uh, that's part of the research that I've, I've been immersed in lately in, in financial advisor misconduct research. It's really fascinating, the stuff that you run into. But um, in looking at that research, the strange, it, and, uh, this is coming out in some papers. This is, and I've actually been doing some research that's kind of showing the same thing. You'd be surprised, but the the group that seems to have the highest incidence of misconduct are fiduciaries who are dual registered or triple registered as a as a broker, investment advisor, and as an insurance agent. And in that subset, the group with the highest incidence of misconduct seems to be CFPs. So, um, and I'm not. I'll tell you. In terms of disclosure, I, as a financial yeah. planner, have a brokerage license, an insurance license, and an investment advisor's license. So I, theoretically, I'm in the high-risk crowd, too. So, But I just be careful not to read too much into those terms. Every, every financial planner should be acting in a fiduciary capacity. Um, there's more to it than that. You need to get to know that person better, and that's where the due diligence comes in. Okay, that makes sense. And, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this. So what are more of the characteristics that consumers should consider? And what questions should we ask when we sit down to meet with a financial planner for the very first time? What do we ask? All right. So there, there are a number of important questions that you should ask. I'm, I'm going to run through them. Um, in posing them to a financial planner, I, I think consumers should keep in mind that if you've done your due diligence, you, you probably already know the answers to some of them. Um, and, and the purpose in asking the questions is more to see how the financial planner actually responds. So um, I'll give you some. So a nice intro question. And this is, this is where it's, the advice is very different from what you'd see in those consumer articles about you know, seven steps to, to selecting a financial planner or whatever. This is, this is okay. different. So yeah. the first question you ask, just like a softball question. Tell me, what is your approach to financial planning? And the purpose in asking that is just to see, you know, does it match what your interests are, what you think your interests are? Do, uh, using myself as an example, I really don't spend much time budgeting. So if somebody's coming to me and they say, my primary objective is I need somebody to help me develop a budget, I'm going to tell them, I'm, you know, I appreciate you're thinking of me, but I'm not a good fit. I just, I don't, that's not part of mm -hmm. my practice. So, sure. um, so that, that's what the purpose of that question is. Another question. Um, what would you say the strengths of your practice are? And are there any planning areas that you do not address? So that's why I said that was one I just gave you as a good example of something I don't do. Um, another good question. What can you tell me about your qualifications and experience? Um, and, you know, if it's not clear, you can ask the planner, are you dual registered as a brokerage rep and an investment advisor? Or are you single registered as a brokerage firm rep or, um, or just do you just work for an RIA? Now, these are obviously sophisticated jargon questions. If you ask these questions to the planner, uh, you'll clue them into the, that you know what you're talking about. You're familiar with the industry, which can help. So you, to help you not get taken advantage of. Um, and you should also ask, I think probably more important along this, do you have any academic experience in the field? Like I said, you can be a CFP and never have had a, a degree in finance or econ, never had any, any academic experience in it at all. I, I think you, if, I think uh, I should not pick on the CFP mark so much. I will say if you didn't have any academic experience, the CFP program is a very valuable educational tool. It doesn't necessarily trump a finance degree, but it's useful. It does show that you have knowledge about the field. So, um, but I would, you know, ask them, ask them those questions. You want to know what experience do you have? Uh, what your background is. Yep. Um, other questions. So, and this is a big one. And um, so I, I always encourage people to ask, what have you done in your career that separates you or makes you different from other financial planners? And um, there are a couple of things on this. So you, one, you want to know, have they actually done anything? <laughs> um, and, but one of the things, I, I, and this is a, always a red flag. If the advisor says, well, I was ranked in Barron's top 100 financial planners or financial advisors, or um, I'm on the million dollar round table. 
those are sales and productivity awards. And while it may indicate that your financial planner is very successful financially, personally, I'm not sure that that's relevant to your decision-making process. Um, so, but things that, things that might be meaningful, and I'm, yeah, my opinion is biased because this is, when people ask me that question, this is what I flash out. Um, have you written and published any articles? You know, what have you done that's demonstrated original thought? So if you've got somebody who publishes articles in Forbes or Fortune, I, I, and I don't publish in those, but there are plenty of advisors who do, that signals that you've, you've got something unusual, different to add, a different perspective to add. If you yeah, published in definitely. financial journals, that's always been, I, I like to publish in research all the time, publish in journals, publish magazines, just something that shows that, you, that you're passionate about what you do and that you're knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. um, that's mm -hmm. what you're looking for in that answer. Um, I would also ask, are you licensed to sell products? Um, it's, it's not necessarily, or sell insurance products. It's not necessarily a loaded question. Um, I have carry insurance license and it's not so much that I want to sell insurance products, but I, I actually carry the license because you kind of need it. There are certain, certain things like immediate annuities. There's lots of um, academic research that suggests that it's a valuable planning tool. You can't get them without an insurance license. I don't use them very often, but you need to be able to do that. Or to even to be able to review somebody's long-term care insurance policy, you have to have an insurance license. You just want to know, is that part of your business model? Um, that makes sense. That's a great question, especially if you're buying insurance. You want to make sure that you have someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's you just want to know. It's important to know what what to expect. Now, at the same token, if they're, if they're offering insurance products... Um, you, a very important question is if you sell product, like insurance products are almost always sold on a commission basis. And usually that commission is opaque. So what you want to know is, okay, if you're going to sell me products that have commissions, I understand that there's, you know, in many cases, no other way to get these products than through this, but will you disclose to me in advance and in writing the amount of compensation that you'll receive? And that is a powerful question. Sometimes it's the third rail wow. for financial planners and they may be offended by that. To me, it's a litmus test for consumers. That's mm -hmm. you need that transparency. It's a big difference between a financial planner getting paid ten thousand dollars on the sale of one insurance product and a thousand dollars if they buy some term life policy. They may be apples and oranges. You got to disclose that. You have to. It's not required by law. I want to know as a consumer. It's re relevant to me, so I, I would not be shy about asking that question. That's a great question, uh, Jr. I'm going to ask you this question: yeah. Do they get paid on residuals, residual income? For example, if you're buying an insurance policy. Uh, for 25 years, 30 years, does that insurance agent every month get a commission? How does that work? That's a fair question to ask. And it applies in some cases also to mutual funds um, and other annuity products. Um, it's a fair question. Yeah, I mean, I would be very candid and very pointed in my questioning when I'm interviewing a financial planner is I expect full disclosure of all compensation upfront and in writing. And that would include residuals. I mean, you got to this. In this day and age, that is what you, you've got. The consumer has a right to know that information and it's relevant to the decision-making process. So yeah, don't be shy about asking. That's a good question. I've never even thought of that question before until we spoke right now. And I don't think most consumers do. They just, you know, when you go to buy insurance, you buy the insurance and you don't ask that. So thank you. Uh, and I'm sure our listeners really appreciate what you're, what you're bringing up to yeah. them. And to take that one step further too, um, how you get paid is an important question. And, and these days it's, it's important too, because um, you will see financial advisors who take a holier than thou approach to planning. I'll give you a couple of examples of, I'll just, I wrote a, a paper for the Journal of Financial Planning in 2007. that was a comparative analysis of, of financial planner or financial advisor compensation models. And my point was that there is no single model that has no conflicts of interest. And that the key is understanding what those conflicts are. So I see people all the time. I was watched a TV last over the weekend. There was an ad for Fisher Investments and they and they were out of their way to explain how they don't have any conflict conflicts of interest because they're paid on an asset based level, which means they get paid. The, they say the better we do, the better, you, the better you do, the better we do. Um, I have trouble with that. You know, they have a, an interest in in and making sure that you keep your assets under management there. They're not likely to say, take money out of your account to buy a house. So it's, it's a conflicted model. Every, every model has conflicts. That actually is an obvious one. At the same token, I'm wary about um, financial advisors who uh, say we're, we're fee only, so we have no conflicts of interest. There are conflicts of interest in every model. Um, it, it, and we went to cover that a little bit on the last show, but um, there you just need to know how you get paid, how much you get paid. And on that, actually, I had a 
debate with a financial planner last week, he was mocking a financial advisor who was charging a one and a half percent asset management fee, which I agree is actually too high. But he was saying how um, unethical that was. And I said, well, dude, I just went to your website. I see that you charge $4,000 up front for a financial plan and then $8,600 a year after that. I, just a simple question, but is that person at Merrill Lynch who was charging one and a half percent, are those clients paying more or less with you? So, you know, it, great question. Understand the whole <laughs> wow. thing, right? So yeah, I don't like the holier exactly. than thou. Everybody gets paid. It's just a matter of the value that you're delivering for what you get paid. And then, so finally, in, in closing, um, I'll just say that the, uh, one other thing is, you know, ask what value do you provide to your clients on an ongoing basis. And I mentioned at the beginning how important it is to have a financial planning platform as opposed to a document. Um, that, that's a deliverable. You can show clients know that they're getting value for that. They see it. They're using it all the time. That's actually value on an ongoing basis. Know from when you ask that financial planner, um, you know, how, what am I getting for the for the for the vet for what I'm paying you, and then the consumer can make the assessment of whether that's worth it or not. Um, absolutely, and Jr. Today was an absolutely fascinating show. Uh, is there any way that our listeners can get a copy of the process that you just outlined? How to choose a financial planner? I'm sure that this would be an extremely helpful roadmap to have in writing for when they do just that. Sure, um, I, I hadn't thought about it, but I guess if anybody wants it, I'm never going to solicit anybody. As I said, we're on the show not to solicit financial planning clients, but. Send an email to info at fphawaii.com, info at fphawaii.com, and I'll write this up and I'll send it out. I'm happy to do that. We have been listening to My Two Cents, and the topic today is who needs a financial planner and how to choose one. We want to thank our listeners for joining us today. Stay safe. Thank you for tuning in this week to My Two Cents. Be sure to join J.R. Robinson and Jessica Lonnie Rich again next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, aloha. Aloha.